This is the Rise City Church Sermon Podcast. We are a church in Gresham, Oregon, on a mission to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. We would love for you to join us on Sundays. For more information, check out our website, rise.cc. Whether you already follow Jesus or are exploring Christianity, we hope that you experience the power of God through this message. Uh, lead pastor here at Rise, and we've been going through this journey looking at a biblical theology of community. And so uh, looking, going on this journey of seeing, hey, what does it look like to build this deep connection? And so this week, uh, I was looking on Amazon, and you can go week by week and look on Amazon and actually see uh, what the most, uh, the top selling books week to week are, okay? And so if you go through the, the nonfiction list, you're going to see this list, and it's going to be things like Atomic Habits, 12 Rules for Life, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Bleep, okay? Uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, The Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Man. Now, if you go to the fiction section, it's just like 25 books by Colleen Hoover. But on the nonfiction, they're all driving towards this idea of what does it look like for us to be better? How can we grow? Why, are, why is this what we're longing for? Why is this what people are reading and going after? It's because we want to live lives of meaning and consequence. Am I right? Like, we, we feel this internal, internal tug. Like, we don't want to be lazy, lonely losers. We want to be fun, friendly, faithful, and fit, right? right? So we have this draw. And, and here's the thing. Here's what I want to say. I actually feel like this is a good longing that we would long to live lives of actual consequence. Because the scriptures, they tell us we are created in God's image, and therefore we are created to be deeply known and deeply loved. The word reveals that we are his workmanship, and so we are created to live lives of purpose and goodness. And you and me, we long to be women, men and women of deep faith, not rattled by the wavering world around us. And so this is why we read such books. This is why today, this is what people are, they're aching. How can I just not be stuck? How can I not live a meaningless life? How can I, how can I, it's a holy longing to find our true selves. But here's what I want you to know. I think we're looking for the answers in all the wrong places. We, yes, this ache within us, I think it is God-given and is good, but we don't need to read more books. We need, more, we need to read a book that actually reads us. We need to spend time in God's word because it gives us clarity around who we are and what we're called to be. And so as we've been painting this biblical theology community, here's where we've gone so far. First, we are created for community. We are created to have this deep longing inside of us to be connected, to be deeply known and deeply loved. Second, relationships They don't happen by accident. They are purposefully built. We have to be intentional and intentionally engage with and pursue relationships with other people. And then last week, we looked at this idea of the whole point of Christian community. It's to form us into the likeness of Jesus. And so if the point of finding our people is so that we could be known, loved, and formed into the likeness of Jesus, how do we build these kind of friendships? How do we build these kind of relationships? And so that's what we're going to look at today. So I I want you to grab a Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And and we're going to look at this letter that is written by an unknown author to a group of Jewish Christians. Now think about this for a second. The people it was written to, 
a group of Jewish Christians. First of all, here's what we know of that day and age. Uh, the, the Hebrew people, the Jews, they were some of the most persecuted, disconnected, um, suffering, isolated pe- people group on the planet. But he's writing it to Jewish Christians because the Christians, the ones who said, no, Jesus is the Messiah, even amongst their own people, they were disconnected. Even amongst their own people, they were unknown. And so he's writing this letter. This author is writing this letter to help them hold fast to their faith in the midst of all this persecution that they're facing. And so what's happened is they've started to compromise in their lifestyle, and some are disconnecting from the community. Here's why I love the scriptures. is because when we look around at the world today, like there, you feel it. If you are a follower of Jesus, there, there's, a, there's a disconnect in a way that you've maybe never experienced before. And this letter... This call, I think it speaks to us just as strongly today as it was to early Christians about 2,000 years ago and what they were facing. And so the broader context of Hebrews chapter 10 is the author has just got done explaining how the sacrifice that Christ has made has paid the price once and for all. And because of what Jesus has done, there should be some massive implications, okay? So Hebrews 10, we're going to start in verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, we can actually enter into relationship with God by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and with our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord, as we open your word today, would you pierce our hearts? Would you shape us to be a community that truly knows one another, that fights to stay connected, that that brings about healing and grace and hope and redemption, and that that, that is marked by forgiveness and your peace and your grace? Would we truly be a gospel-saturated and a gospel-centered community? Would you do this in us by the work of your Holy Spirit? You change us through your word today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as the author is kind of breaking this down, essentially what they're saying is they're explaining the theology of how Christ died for us and how that changes everything. And he says, in light of what Jesus has done, let us. And there's these three, how do we respond? Okay, the first one, let us draw near to God. If, if Jesus has made a way by his blood, If he has torn the curtain that once separated us from God's presence, then let us draw near with confidence. Let us say, man, I can actually connect with God. I don't have to get my life together before I can be in God's presence because Jesus has already done that. He's already made a way. Second, let us hold fast to our hope. If Jesus is the one who has purchased our hope by his blood, if he is the one who has restored our relationships, then we can hold on to hope because hope is not in the wavering world around us. 
Hope is not in you internally, oh, if you just had enough faith or you're just strong enough. No, our hope is actually found in Jesus, and that's why we can hold fast to our hope, because it's him who sustains it. And thirdly, let us build life-changing community. Like, if Jesus paid the price, if Jesus made a way, then the church and the way that we gather and the way that we interact and the way that we speak to each other and listen to each other should look so vastly different than the world around us. And so this is what we're gonna zoom in on today as we're doing this kind of theology of community. We're gonna look at this third part, building life-changing community and in light of what Jesus has done. Now, the author here uses this phrase that you'll see there, let us consider how. And what that means is we actually have to take the time intentionality and purpose to build deep community. It's not gonna just happen. We should step back and, and, and we should say, what kind of church do I want this to be? What kind of community and relationships do I want us to have? And not show up and just like analyze, hmm, what are the things I like and don't like about this church? But here's what I need you to know. You are the church, right? And so, listen, the, the best thing that we can, the, the scriptures need to be a mirror to us. That we open them and we don't think, oh, Carl needs to read this, you know, right? <laughs> no, this is for you. This is for, would you consider what kind of community you're building by your sacrifice? What kind of community you're building by your grace? What kind of community you're building by your gossip? Are we a community that, that actually is holding fast, holding on? to the hope that we have in Jesus, that, that is representing him to one another because we long for this. We long to find our people. We long to be fully known and fully loved. We long to be formed into something better. That is why we are spending all this money on these Amazon books that are promising us life of meaning and significance, promising us habits that actually shape and change our lives, promising us that we can be the rich dad and not the poor dad, right? We're longing for these things, but we need to understand those, those are not built through anything but the grace and blood of Christ being worked in and through us in community being formed and shaped by our brothers and sisters. And so this author here is telling us that we need to be intentionally cultivating the type of community that Jesus bought with his blood, that he paid for. So, so how do we do it? So I, I wanna give you four symbols today that I think give you a framework for understanding and kind of retaining this passage a little bit, okay? Here's the symbols we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at fire, doors, anvil, and anvils, and tables, all right? Let's go. Number one, fires, all right? It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I, like, I, I don't know about you, like, I love, I am a, I love campfires, I, every memory I have around a campfire is amazing. Like, uh, sometimes if, if I, I learned here in the Pacific Northwest that if you go camping during certain months, they say no fires. I'm like, well, then don't go camping. Like, what are you going to do? S like, sit around and just get bit by mosquitoes, right? Like, no, I want to. Why do, why do we love campfires? Because there's something about this central heat that you have to get close to it that you have to be next to people in order to feel its warmth, and you're facing, you're around this circle and you're facing each other. It's always, it's this, it's this point of community. It's this symbol of connection for me. And this is what community, friendships, they need consistent connection and closeness to keep warm. 
We can't look at friend and be like, oh, I don't know why we're not as close as we used to be. Or I don't know why I never got, uh, got close to that person. You know why you never got close to that? Because you don't spend time together. You're not, you're not consistent. They invite you to things, but you're like, ah, like that, feels, that feels challenging with my schedule right now. Yeah, it is challenging. But is the relationship worth it to you or not? Ah, like, I know they have small groups, but, you know, like, my, I just really like my, my evenings a lot. That feels like a sacrifice to make. Yeah, it is a sacrifice to make. Because you have to put effort into building closeness. And as the church, we need consistency. We, we need to show up. Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. We need to show up in these events in people's lives to actually grow close and build relationship. Because what's happening is he says here the phrase, all the more as the day draws near. Now, that phrase, the day, is a reference to the second coming of Christ. It's a reference to the end of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but like every once in a while, I'll pull out my phone and I'll do this like really dangerous thing. I'll click on the news app, okay? (laughs) And what happens when I do that, inevitably at some point I come across an article where I just like, is this the end of the world? Like, are you kidding? Like, what is happening around us? It just feels like craziness. And, and what, we should, what should happen when we feel that is not, man, I need to just, like, pack up all my bags. I need to make sure I have enough supplies, and I need to head to the hills. No, what the author here is saying is all the more as it feels like the world is falling apart, the church presses into each other. The, the church continues to gather the church continues to fight to be encouraging and, and, and embracing one another. See, because the enemy, the enemy will use anything to isolate you from God's people. He will. There's a word that you're going to hear more and more often. Maybe you've been hearing it. Maybe you've been seeing it. But, but especially among teenagers and young adults. And it's the word deconstruction. Okay? And I just want to explain how, how we as a church should be thinking about this. Okay? Um, the word deconstruction, it can mean two different things. It's kind of this idea that you're, you're pulling up, deconstructing your faith and saying, is this really authentic and real? And there's actually a healthy form of deconstruction. You know what that is? It's deconstructing cultural Christianity in light of the truth of Scripture. Man, are, are we actually following the teachings of Jesus? Or are we just doing what our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers before us did? Are we just in this habit? No, we, are, we need to actually do there, there was a There was a famous deconstruction about 500 years ago. In fact, tomorrow, I think, is the, is, is the celebration of it, where a guy named Martin Luther had some deconstruction thoughts on the church. It's known as the Reformation. And he had about 97 different ideas, okay, of what was wrong, what was broken within the Catholic church, and saying, wait a minute, are we leading people to the scripture, or are we trying to steal the authority of scripture for ourselves? This is wrong. We need, and there was this beautiful Reformation that was a deconstruction moment. And I think there's things, if you were here last week when, when Russell kind of talked about the second water level of the American church, there, there's some deconstructing that needs to be done in light of scripture because it is an unwavering truth. But here's the flip side of deconstruction, and this is, this is what happens, is people start to deconstruct the truth, the truth of scripture with the ever-changing truth of culture. Say, hey, what the Bible teaches is this affirmed by the culture around me. And here's what I need you to hear, okay? You can ask hard questions. It's, it's okay. You, you actually should. It, it, it's okay to have doubts. 
It's okay to wrestle through these kind of things. But here's where it becomes dangerous because over and over and over, I hear people say, hey, I'm deconstructing my faith. And so I need some time and space away from the church in order to do that. Deconstruction done in disconnection is when it becomes dangerous. So can we be a church, please, where it's safe for people to ask hard questions? where we don't just shut people down because they're, they're asking and they're having these wrestlings. No, 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 we don't, we don't ask that. We don't doubt that. No, no, God is big enough for their doubts. God is big enough for your questions. And he makes time and space and he's gentle and gracious when he walks us through these things. But what's dangerous is when we push people away from the church because they're wrestling with their faith. It's dangerous when we ourselves disconnect from the church when we're wrestling wrestling with our faith because you know who wants you know who's behind that it's the enemy he's looking for somebody to devour it it, it describes satan in scripture as a roaring lion a prowling lion looking for someone to you ever watch a lion hunt like i love watching you know like these videos of like lions hunting because one you realize they're just like giant house cats with manes right and when they lions are fascinating to me because they're not the largest predator they're not the largest animal in the jungle right there's plenty of animals that are way bigger than lions but they're the most dangerous because of the way they hunt they hide and they wait and they prowl and who do they go after they go after the ones that are isolated from the rest of the herd. You think it's any different with you and your faith? You know who the enemy is gonna go after? You know who he's gonna devour? It's those who have disconnected from the church. And it may be deconstruction. It may be because of disappointment. Man, this, this church just isn't what I hoped it would be. What, you know, there was something said on Sunday or I had a rough interaction, you know, at a, a small group or, you know, I never got emailed back when he said he would email me back. Or, there's, you're gonna be disappointed. But if it leads us to disconnection, that's when it's dangerous. Or even um, distraction. The enemy will use anything to, to pull us away. It, it starts out as just like, you know what? Like, Bobby's gonna do soccer on Saturdays. It's gonna be wonderful. And then the schedule comes out and you realize it's Saturdays and Sundays. And you're like, that's not that big of a deal. Like, we'll just, you know, we'll miss a couple months of church. It's not really a problem. But what's happened in that time is you become disconnected and isolated from the family of God that he's called you to be a part of. There's this amazing book written by C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters. And it's essentially, it, it's, a, it's an older demon teaching and counseling a younger demon. How do you lead people away from faith? And this is, this is what the older demon says to the younger demon. Do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, in this context being God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their, their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards will do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. This is the strategy. Of the, he will use any, anything to disconnect us and separate us from Christ and his body. And so how do we keep our faith burning, hot, as we face persecution, 
as we feel this isolation, as we feel pulled away all the more as the day draws near, we fight to stay deeply connected to the people of Jesus. You know, I'm just fascinated with even how like a campfire works. It's incredible to me if you, t- you can take this log that is fully engulfed and inflamed. It's burning hot. And if you take that one log and you remove it from the rest of the fire and you place it off to the side, what happens within minutes? That fire burns out and it grows cold. The only way for that log to be sustained is it to burn, for it to burn next to others. It needs, the, it needs the heat and it needs the fire put off by the other logs. This is what you need in your faith. Like we need each other. We need to be encouraged by one another. Listen, our church needs you. You may be feeling this like, ah, man, I don't know if this is my place. Or like, I don't know if church is for me. God is going to do something in you, and he's going to stir about your faith in a way that the rest of us need the heat from what God is doing in your life. And you, in order to sustain, you need the heat from other people's faith. This is how faith works. This is why he gave us community, that we would not quit Gathering, to, gathering together as some people are in the habit of doing. And we've seen that, have we not, over the last couple of years? And think about how many people have gotten disconnected, people you used to like, do church with, be in small group with, sit side by side, and they all have really good reasons why they're disconnected. But they've become isolated, and in time, in time, nine times out of ten, the enemy is going to come after them and swallow them up and, di- and pull them away. And so when you feel cold in your faith, press in. When you feel lonely and disconnected, press in. We need each other. We need to keep coming back and keep showing up. And when we draw near to those around us, we actually have to let people into every part of our soul. Um, because we're in this habit of building walls, but we need to actually open doors. See, the symbol of open door, the goal of it is that we would actually be fully known and fully loved. Uh, the barrier is that we feel this pain and this shame or this, this lack of vulnerability. And, and the quickest way to never allow community to shape you is just to never open up in the first place. C.S. Lewis, again, in one of his books, he, he describes it like this. He says, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Love, loving something or someone is such a vulnerable state. If not... If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. It's a hard thing to let people into these places in our hearts and our lives. But in order to actually experience healing, to actually experience redemption, to actually experience hope, we need to let people into those broken places. Now, now there's a reason that we don't let people in. It's because of some of the things that we've experienced. In particular, two of the things are shame and pain. Those make us build walls and refuse to let people in. First, this idea of shame. Um, it's, it's incredibly fascinating to me. They did a study on shame, 
And they were trying to ask, when, when do people start to feel shame, right? Do you feel it as a teenager, like, or is it not until adulthood? And um, as they studied, they realized that we as human beings, we begin feeling shame between 15 and 18 months of age. At like a year old is when we, so some of us, we, we experience and feel the feelings of shame before we even have words to identify it. And for some of us, that just carries on. I, I want you to see this clip of my son. Uh, he was about a year old, and uh, you know, it was Christmas time, and we told him, uh, okay, it, it, we have presents around the tree, wait until Christmas, and then you can open them. And he's constantly like, grab like, no, no, Dax, put it, put it away. And so I walked into the living room, and I couldn't see him anywhere. And so I, I, that was a time of his development where if I couldn't find my son, I would always pull up my phone because he was doing something naughty, and I always wanted to capture it. So, so this is a moment with my son when he was about a year old. So I'm kind of walking through the living room, and you can see, like, okay, I, he's nowhere to be found. I can't find him. Um, there's the presence at the tree, and if you go in this back little corner, there he is. What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you supposed are you supposed to open that? No. Dex, are you allowed to open that? No. What do you need to do? No, you need to go put it back under the tree. Go put it back under the tree. Okay, that's cute, right? <clears throat> One year old, and he knows. His internal shame drives him to go hide. Now, like, that's cute with a USB charger. But it becomes this way of life for many of us. There are some of us that we're still hiding because we've, we have not allowed the grace and the blood of Jesus to wash us clean. We have not allowed ourselves to know, like, hey, no, Jesus took, yes, he took our sin, and he took our shame. And so we are still hiding, and we are disconnecting. And it's this tool of the enemy to get us to turn inward and say, no, if people really knew, if people really knew what you've done, they wouldn't accept you. They wouldn't love you. And the author is arguing right here. No, no, no. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can build a community that actually brings about hope in people's lives. And over time, we've built this tendency to hide, and it erodes our trust in God, and it fractures our relationships with other people. Secondly, is this, this idea of pain. A lot of us, we build walls because we've been hurt. You know, if any of you who have experienced or studied trauma, and, and that could be in two different ones. One, it could be trauma that is um, things that have happened to us, whether it be abuse or betrayal or abandonment, or it can come in the form because we didn't experience something. We didn't experience connection. We didn't experience love, belonging, acceptance in our upbringing. That, that is also a trauma experience. What happens is this undealt with trauma, it actually is stored in our bodies and we carry it around with us and it affects even the way that we breathe. It prevents us 
from being able to make eye contact with other human beings because we're so leery and we're so guarded. It affects the way we, are, we posture ourselves and our habitual emotional responses. And because most trauma happens in relationship, something we experience in relationship, it's actually revealed in future relationships. So things that happened to us when we were little kids, in our teenage years, even you know, some of our f- most formative years, it doesn't actually start to make its way out until we're in, you know, until we get married or we have a roommate or, or we have this, and, and it starts to pull itself out. Author Jody Pickle, she puts it like this. She says, let me tell you this. If you meet a loner, no matter what they tell you, it's not because they enjoy solitude. It's because they've tried to blend into the world before and people continue to disappoint them. For many of us, the reason we put up walls is because of the shame and the pain that we have experienced. And so we push people away when they start to get close. Or we have these assumptions that everyone has this negative intention. Or we unconsciously sabotage the relationships that we're in. But here's what's incredible about trauma. One of the biggest um, determining factors of how it impacts us long term is the level of care and support that we had around us from other people in those moments. And and I think what what I wanna argue here is the church needs to be a safe place to deal with the pain of their past and the wounds of their present. Need to actually be able to open up because what we need when we've experienced shame What we need when we've experienced pain and trauma is in order for us to heal is we need healthy, loving, Jesus-embodying followers of Jesus to come alongside us and to listen to us, to stick by us when it's hard and to love us no matter what. The author here of Hebrews says, let us consider, let's think about how we can stir up one another to a love and good works and then ends it with encouraging one another all the more as the day is drawing near. That word encouraging is the word parakaleo. And what I love about the Greek language is it's very simple in some ways. It's usually two words put together to create a new meaning. And the word parakaleo is the word para and kaleo, okay? So para, what, that, what the word para means is, is to stand, stand by. I'm gonna stand by you. Para. I'm going to stand, stand by someone. And kaleo is a phrase that means name or calling, but usually it's used um, as, as an action word um, to call out someone's name. What this author is saying is as the pain and the trauma and the disconnection and the persecution increases and people are wounded and hurting, you know what we need to do? All the more as the day draws nears, we need to stand by and remind them who they are in Christ. Remind them they are not what's happened to them. They are not the wound that they experienced. They are not the shame of their failures. They are bought by the blood of Christ. Now you are given a new identity. You are chosen you are loved. It's like a little kid that you walk in their room and they're having a nightmare. And what do you say? You say, hey, hey, daddy's here. And you hold their hand. You let them know I'm right here. Nova, Nova, it's me. You come close and you come around. This is the call of the church. See, this is what Jesus has done. 
Jesus is the one who's made a way for us to be this kind of community. This is why in verse 19 it says, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by his blood, by the blood of Jesus, we can be a people who continue to gather together and parakaleo one another. We can actually stand by each other. It's not my strength. It's not my grace. It's the grace of Jesus healing me and allowing me to be a presence for you. It's the grace of Jesus offering grace for you to be, to be in this presence. And so here's the thing. When people come to you and they bring these precious things, these wounds, man, would you handle them with care? Would you not just try to fix it right away? Would you not just shut them down? Please do not gossip about that. No, this is a precious part of their soul that they are, they're risking something to open up to you. Handle it with the utmost care. My son, he's, he's in this phase where he's into building these like terrariums and like vivariums, all these different tanks, and he builds a new one every day. But as he builds them, he makes this massive mess in the room, okay? His room is his like covered in dirt and moss and like random creatures and rocks. That's literally, that's literally, it's like its own ecosystem, right? You walk in there, you're like, just water in Dax's room, like life, right? And he loves it. He's all about it, right? And so uh, a couple nights ago, uh, he just got done building a new one. And uh, I, we're, we're tucking Nova into bed and he comes in, he stands at the door and he goes, hey, mom. He's like, I, I haven't shown you my new vivarium yet. Can I show it to you? And she's like, okay, yeah. So she walks in. And she opens his door and just starts stepping over the moss. And the frogs are like literally hopping on his carpet. And the isopods that he just bought are like, and she's just like, and she walks up. And, I, and, and I'm kind of watching from the hallway. And she's just like, Dex, that's amazing. Oh, you're so creative. Oh, the little waterfall. Oh, oh, that, oh you're, that's so great. He's like, thanks, mom. And she walks out of the room and she stands at the door. I'm in the hallway and she just goes, I love my boy, 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 right? She knew he was inviting her to celebrate his creativity with her, not inviting her to critique his creative process in the moment. Now, we got to clean the room, okay? It's going to happen, right? But so often, people open up to us, and they're like, can you see this wound? Can you see this hurt? Like, well, did you think about this verse? You know, and you're like, no, just listen. Like, cover them in grace. Like, walk with them. This is not about just affirming them in their sin or their brokenness, but it's, under, it, it's be, treating it with preciousness. See, this is why we actually need the next symbol. Because as we open up in order to bring change, what we need is we need anvils. You know what an anvil is? It's used by a blacksmith to shape and to form metal. We need, we need the Christian church to be an anvil. We need to, to shape each other. We don't just like affirm one another like, oh, that's so wonderful that you're deconstructing and walking away from the church. Oh, I'll miss you, right? Like, like, no, we need to actually call each other out. We want to be, and we should be a people who long this, long for this. As friends and friend groups, we need to be people who sharpen each other. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. We, we think we're helping people by not actually ever speaking to one another's character flaws. Not actually calling each other out on how they let us down or they hurt us or they wounded us. 
No, better is an open rebuke. Hey, I just need to be honest with you, rather than thinking we're loving someone by hiding the truth from them. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Oh, you're just great. You're just wonderful just the way you are. Are you loved just as you are? You better believe it. But God loves you enough not to leave you that way. He wants to form something in you. I came across a picture of this arm wrestler. His name's Matthias Schlittel, okay? He's a German arm wrestler. The dude... The dude is yoked in a, do you think he's right-handed or left, right? <laughs> okay. So he rolls up to an arm wrestling competition. He's actually a world champion arm wrestler. And, 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 and he's like, I'm pretty incredible, aren't I? Uh, but any other area of his life, I'm sure that feels like a massive inconvenience, right? Try buying, try buying a tailored suit, right? <laughs> you know, right? I feel like so many of us, we're walking around like, look at my theology, Isn't it incredible? Now, my marriage is a mess, and I'm incredibly rude to the barista, but look at my theology. Isn't it so good? Or, oh, look at my prayer life. Man, I just, you know, I'm I'm just, I'm such a prayer warrior, but I have no joy in my life. See, discipline, it begins in the places we are not yet like Christ. Formation, it comes from the places we are not yet formed. Healing comes from the places where we are broken. Truth comes to the places where there are lies. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That word stir up is provoke. We should be a community that says, no, we want to be formed in the image of Jesus. And you know how that, where forming takes place? It takes place on the anvil of the church. That we could actually Man, I want that for my life. I don't want people seeing all my blind spots in the areas I fall short and being like, ah, like, whatever, that's fine. He, he, he's, he's, he's good on the stage, so that's okay. No, we want to be well-rounded. We want to be holistic. And, and once we start longing for that, this iron anvil of community, we'll stop seeing it as punishment, but as a means of progress that we desperately need. We'll quit hiding and hedging and guarding. We'll stop recoiling when questions are asked. We'll actually open up and, and, and long for this. Listen, if we actually love people, we will say hard truths in a loving way. This is what friends do for one another. Iron has to sharpen iron. And it's painful and there's sparks, but we have to be able to have these kind of relationships reciprocal where there's trust and there's love, and there's grace, and we're built upon the foundation of the blood of the cross, so we're not positioning ourselves as better than others. But in response to God's grace, we're willing to be a community that speaks hard truths. Listen to some of the language of what Christian relationships and friendships should look like. Encouraging one another, building each other up, bearing one another's burdens, Comfort one another. Exhort one another every day. Confess your sins to one another. Forgive one another. We need a culture of honest confession in safe environments. People who will remind us of the blood of the cross. Remind us of God's love, but remind us of the call to live a righteous life. 
remind us that God is not done with us and he's still moving in us and, and, and working in us. And so let's be the kind of people, let's be the kind of friends that are willing to speak these hard truths to each other's blind spots. It is not loving to hold your tongue when somebody's life is spiraling out of control. It's passive, it's fearful, and it's weak. It's the kisses of an enemy. But a, but a loving friend is willing to risk the relationship in order to speak hard truths in a loving way. And here's the thing. Um, this will not always go perfectly. And there will be plenty of times where this is going to result in conflict. Even when we're not trying to say hard things, we're going to constantly have, have conflict in our relationship. And this is why we need the last symbol. And that's why we need tables. And what I mean by table is a gathering space where we sit through sustained commitment in the midst of conflict. Because our friends, like, we're human beings. You are not yet sanctified. And if you think you're fully sanctified, you're probably the most unbearable person to be around. And so we're going to have conflict in our relationships, but you get to decide whether that conflict results in closeness or quitting. And the mark of the Christian community, the, mar the difference between gospel friendships and worldly friendships is the way we respond when we wound each other and we let each other down. That Jesus made a way that Christians can come back to the table and can work through and have our relationships marked by hope and healing. We, uh, about a week ago, Jesse and I, my wife, we just had this day. We just were, it was just a miss all across the board. And you could just feel, you know, kind of just frustration. And, you know, you try to work through it. And, you know, but it's just there. It's just underlying. And we got to the evening and we're, we're, we're making dinner and we're, sitting, we're just standing there in the kitchen. And it just is like building. And uh, all of a sudden she, she says something that just, I just get defensive and I just, I just explode. I just have this moment of raw, completely unsanctified, you know, pre-Christian Jason. And I'm mad and I'm heated and, and we're in this argument and I just, I just want to cool off and I just walk into the living room where my kids are at. And my, my son, he, he's, like, he's like watching <laughs> videos about how to build terrariums and he's just like wide-eyed, like I'm not looking up. But my daughter, she's seven and she believes it's her role in our family to be my coach. Not Jesse's, my coach when we're in an argument. And so I go sit on the couch and she, you know, she tries to do it in a subtle way. She's like, she's like, you need to be careful. And I'm like, and she's like, Dad, you need to go apologize right now. And I'm, and I'm like, did you see what she said? Like, you know, I have to defend myself to my seven-year-old, Right? And so I'm sitting there, like, and I look up, and she's like, seriously, like, be careful. And I just, and Jessie, um, she starts doing the, the teapot, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're standing there, and you're, like, thinking about what just happened, and the water just starts to boil. And she just explodes, right? And so we're in this full-blown argument, and I'm like, okay, like, this is not the right environment. So we go, and we sit on our bed. And I'm sitting I'm in the bed, and, and Jesse's sitting next to me, and both of us are like a level 10. Like, I know you guys have never, just imagine with me what it's like to be in this moment, okay, right? 
we're just at a tent. We're just heated. We're wounded. We're upset. I can't, over the dumb, it's always over the dumbest thing. We're just both just mad, right? And here's what, here's what I love about my marriage to Jesse. Is at some point in the midst of these arguments, um, the Holy Spirit <laughs> grabs one of us and says, do you care more about winning or do you care more about your marriage? And one of us inevitably will do this bizarre, crazy thing and we'll listen to the other person <laughs> and we'll have this empathy moment and we just look at each other and just say, yeah, that would feel pretty hurtful if that happened to me. I'm sorry I did that. And it just starts to melt the tension away. And we get done, we work through this argument, and we go and get our kids. And I bring my son Dax in, and I'm like, Dax, I'm, I'm really sorry for um, what I said and, and how I acted. Uh, I need you to, I've apologized to your mom, but I need you to forgive me too. And he's just like, okay, yeah, can we talk about something else, <laughs> right? And then I bring Nova and I sit her down and, and I just say, Nova, I'm really sorry for how you just had to see your dad act. And, I, and I've apologized to your mom, but I wanna apologize to you too. And she looks at me and she goes, good, I told you to apologize. <laughs> I'm glad you listened to me. And I'm like, yes, Nova, you are both wise and benevolent. Now go back to your Barbies. <laughs> and we go in the kitchen and we dish up our dinner and we sit at the table, and in those moments, I think to myself, I'm so glad to be a part of a family that doesn't quit each other. Look, I am not naive. I don't think, wow, I'm so glad that was the last conflict we'll ever have. <laughs> but here's what I know. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can humbly confess, and we can graciously forgive. This is what Jesus modeled for us. This is what we need in the Christian community. When you, you're going to have conflict, don't run away. Don't quit. Be willing to allow his blood to make you humble, that you need forgiveness too, and allow his grace to fill you with grace so that you can be forgiving in those moments. This is what the church, this is, this is what Jesus just gave us such a beautiful picture of the Last Supper. And this is why, as Christians, we keep coming back to the table. Because Jesus made a way. He sat at that table with his disciples. Men he knew would betray him. Men he knew would deny him. Men he knew would sell him out for a bag of silver. And he served them and he loved them. And he said, every time, you come to this table, remember me. Remember my body broken so that you could be made whole. Remember my blood poured out to cover the sins that you've done and that you're going to do. And this is why as the church, we can forgive and we can heal and we can open our hearts and we can reconcile because his broken body and his poured out blood. This is the type of church we need to be. Lord, would you build this in us? Would we be a people that don't quit each other? Would we be a people who fight 
for reconciliation? Would you give us the courage and the boldness to to open the doors of our heart and let people in? And Lord, when people do, would we handle handle those, those wounds and that pain and that shame preciously? Lord, would we love people just as they are, but love them enough not to leave them that way? Would we accept one another, but, but would you use us to form each other more and more and more into your image and into your likeness? And as we do, would this church just feel so compelling to an outside world that is just lost and broken and in need of your healing? Would this be the kind of community that people long to say, man, those are my people? pray all this by your precious name.